Hello, everyone, and welcome to the thrilling adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. My name is Michael Bradley, and this is episode 66. This time out, we are tuning back in to the thrilling days of yesteryear for a look at the 11th storyline from the Superman radio show. Unfortunately, I'm all by myself this time. As mentioned in episode 64, Charlie has had to step down from being my co-host on the radio show-focused episodes. He's got a lot of other things on his plate at this time, uh, including his new role as the colorist on the webcomic Slipstream, which is written by Jeffrey Taylor and illustrated by former guest Billy Hogan. So while I'll really miss having him here, once more I want to give big kudos to Charlie for the new gig. I've heard some rumors that the colored pages are looking really great, and I I know I can't wait to see them when they go live on the site. So once more, a big thank you again, Charlie, for all the help. Uh, In the words of Clark Kent, you're swell. Uh, Please come back soon. Hopefully we'll be able to soldier on without you, though, in the meantime. That said, I'm not quite sure how this is going to go, being by myself and all. The episode might end up being a little longer, as things tend to be when I'm left to my own devices and can just drone on and on with you know no one to keep me on point. So what we're going to do, or what I'm going to do, is we're going to play a quick promo and then come back and dig right into the story. The internet is really, really great. For Guy Gardner Podcast. So I don't have to wait For Guy Gardner Podcasts There's always some new site For Guy Gardner Podcasts I browse all day and night For Guy Gardner Podcasts It's like I'm surfing at the speed of light For Guy Gardner Podcasts The internet is for Guy Gardner Podcasts The internet is for And sometimes Kyle Rayner Podcasts Why you think the net was born Guy Gardner Podcasts Just One of the Guys is a weekly internet radio show dedicated to bringing you reviews, commentary, and a heartfelt defense of the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, the two Earth-based Green Lanterns who always seem to get dumped on. Over the next several years, I will be covering the Green Lantern books from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004. I'll also be covering the Guy Gardner solo series, as well as any other media that catches my fancy. The show can be found on iTunes by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, or by going to the website, justoneofthegays.lips.com. So be sure to tune in every Friday for a fun-filled look at the Green Lantern Corps, hosted by me, Sean Ingle. It's just as enjoyable as the search for the subject that this song is actually about. Internet is for internet is for internet is for just one of the guys dot libson dot com. All right. So, like I said, this is the eleventh storyline from the radio serial. It was episodes fifty-eight through sixty-three. And it ran June 24th to July 5th, 1940. Action Comics number 27, which we looked at last episode, was likely released just a day after this storyline started. The Daily Strip was wrapping up a storyline that we'll look at next episode, and the Sunday Strip was smack in the middle of a storyline for a future episode. 
Our story has been titled Hans Holbein's Doll Factory. As our story opens today, the huge presses of the Daily Planet are working at top speed. A horrible catastrophe has struck the manufacturing town of Melville. And Terry White, editor of the Planet, has ordered an extra edition of the paper. At the same time, he has instructed Clark Kent and Lois Lane, the Planet star reporters, to hurry to Melville for an eyewitness story of the catastrophe. As their car speeds out of the darkening city, they discuss their assignment together. Clark Kent and Lois Lane drive towards Melville and discuss how the doll factory owned by Hans Holbein was destroyed by an explosion that also killed 13 employees. Neither Lois or Clark have any ideas about what could have caused the deadly explosion, but both are in a hurry to get to Melville and get the story. Especially Lois, who mostly seems annoyed with having to interrupt her day to do her job. Meanwhile, Holbein himself is given a telegram by his assistant Joe. The telegram is from Perry White, and it alerts him that Clark and Lois are on their way, and that they'd like his cooperation on the story. Holbein has heard of Clark's reporting prowess, and is worried that he won't be as easy to brush off as the police and fire inspector were. He tells Joe to cut them off before they reach town, and tell them they should turn back. And if they refuse, well, accidents happen. As Lois berates Clark for not getting there fast enough, they soon see someone standing in the middle of the road, waving a lantern. They stop, and Joe tells them that the road is closed because the river is out. Clark asks about a detour, but Joe says there's no other way, and they should just go back from where they came. After Joe leaves, Clark says he's skeptical about Joe's story. Telling Lois to stay in the car, he runs ahead to check things out, and once out of sight, takes to the skies as Superman. Seeing that there's no water on the road, he wonders why Joe would lie when he sees Joe's car coming. Superman then drops down to the road and confronts Joe, but Joe isn't interested in answering any questions. Joe pulls a gun, as bad guys are wont to do, and shoots, but the bullets merely bounce off Superman's chest. After some Superman-style convincing, Joe agrees to talk, but Superman then hears Lois calling out for Clark as she approaches, having come a-running because she heard the shots. And with no other options... Superman knocks Joe out and changes back to Clark just in the the nick of time. Clark explains that the man was lying about the road and goes on to say that when he confronted the man, they ended up getting into a fight and that he somehow knocked him out. Lois expresses surprise that Clark was able to knock the man out, but Clark just makes an excuse and they return to the car and head towards Melville, just leaving Joe unconscious in the middle of the road. He gets better, though, because later Holbein receives a call from Joe, saying that the two reporters got through. Holbein tells Joe to take the shortcut to Melville and then go to the factory to keep watch, and make sure this time that there are no mistakes. As Clark and Lois arrive at the factory, Clark tells Lois to wait in the car, again, while he looks around. But Lois is not fond of the idea of Clark getting the story alone, and promptly jumps into the driver's seat and takes off, leaving Clark behind, saying she's going to go interview Holbein at his home. Figuring there's nothing he can do to stop her, and honestly, he's probably right, Clark starts to look around when he sees Joe. Joe thinks he recognizes Clark from earlier, but Clark lies and says he's just a traveling salesman, and Joe buys it. Once Joe is out of sight, Clark switches to Superman and starts to investigate through the rubble of the factory. 
Meanwhile, Lois speaks with Holbein about the explosion at the factory. Holbein says it was caused by a boiler in the basement. He says he wasn't at the factory at the time, but claims he's just sick over the lives that were lost. With enough information, Lois starts to leave to go pick up Clark. She tells Holbein that he's at the factory, probably looking around the rubble, but then just laughs it off, saying that he's unlikely to find anything. However, Holbein says he's not so sure about that, and forces Lois into a closet, saying that if Clark finds out the truth, Lois will never leave the house alive. Holbein arrives at the factory and talks to Joe about Clark's whereabouts, and it's then that Joe realizes that Clark actually was the guy from earlier. He tells Holbein that he left, but then they hear a noise coming from the other side of the pile of bricks. Assuming it's Kent, they plan to dynamite the one remaining factory wall, killing Clark and making it look like an accident. He tells Joe to go back to the house to get Lois, and they'll make sure she's involved in the accident as well. Meanwhile, Superman digs through the rubble, quietly in hopes of not alerting anyone. He shoves some beams aside, finally clearing a path to the basement. Superman then sees the boiler completely intact, which means it couldn't have been responsible for the explosion like Holbein claimed, even though he didn't know Holbein had blamed it. But he then finds a broken packing case and rips the boards off to find that it's full of dolls. Upon closer inspection, he realizes inside the body of the doll is a metal cylinder, and further, he realizes all the dolls have metal cylinders. Realizing he needs to talk to the police, he grabs some of the dolls and leaps off. Five minutes later, Clark talks with the chief of police, who says they don't really know too much about Holbein or his background. Clark shows the chief the dolls and that the metal cylinders inside are full of explosive black powder. Realizing someone must have set the powder off accidentally and caused the explosion, the chief wants to bring Holbein in for questioning. But Clark says that they shouldn't let on that they know as much as they do, so the chief and Clark decide to pay Holbein a visit at his house. Back at the factory, Joe works to plant the dynamite in the wall. Lois has fainted, and Holbein says that Clark must still be inside because he didn't see him leave while Joe was gone. The dynamite is rigged with a five-minute fuse, which will give them time to get back to the house before it blows. As Joe lights the fuse, it's 9.55, which means the dynamite will blow at 10 sharp. They then hear a car coming, and Joe and Holbein make a quick exit before they're spotted. In the car are the police chief and Clark. They had seen Lois's car at Holbein's home, but couldn't find anyone there, so they came to the factory to check things out. Clark climbs over the bricks and finds nothing when he hears a faint sputtering noise coming from the wall. The chief says it's probably just the car, but Clark says it's more like a hissing sound. As Clark starts to head towards the wall to investigate, the clock begins to chime ten. Clark sees a shoe, Lois's shoe, and realizes that she must be in danger, not knowing that they too are in trouble. Realizing the shoe must mean Lois is on the premises, Clark tells the chief to keep a lookout while he tries to find Lois. Once out of sight, Clark changes to Superman, so he's prepared in case something happens. He spots Lois near the wall, but just then the dynamite explodes and the wall starts to fall. Using a burst of super speed, Superman rushes in and grabs Lois just mere moments before she is crushed by the falling wall. A short while later, Lois wakes up in the arms of Clark Kent. Clark tells the chief that the sputtering was a fuse, and the chief assumes it was Holbein, swearing that he'll bring him in for attempted murder. 
Lois can't remember how she got to the factory, but tells how Holbein had held her hostage when he found out that Clark was at the factory. Clark wants to take Lois to a hotel to get some rest, but Lois says no and presses Clark for more information on Holbein. Clark explains about the dolls and that the factory explosion wasn't caused by the boiler. Lois asks how Clark knew about the boiler when she only found out last episode, and Clark explains that the show writers told him. Clark then says that he wants to go back to the house to look for Holbein, but the chief says that Holbein owns his own plane and may be planning to use it to skip the country. The chief wants to go find the plane, but Clark says he can go faster alone and simply runs away. Figuring it would be better to split up anyway, the chief and Lois head to Holbein's house on the end case that he's there. Little do they know, though, Holbein actually is at the house, pacing nervously and worried that the police will pin the explosion on him. He plans on using his plane to fly to a small island, but Holbein's also worried about the rest of the dolls that are buried in the rubble. Just then, they see the chief's car driving up to the house and realize that Lois is still alive. Holbein tells Joe to hide, and after letting the chief and Lois in, Holbein feigns ignorance about the dolls and all the events at the factory. The chief isn't buying it, though, and starts to put Holbein under arrest for manslaughter and attempted murder. But Joe comes out of the closet and knocks the chief out, and then ties Lois to a chair. Holbein tells Joe to pack the bags, and they'll leave soon for the island and take Lois with them. Meanwhile, having had no luck at the airport, Superman flies back towards Melville. He stops at the factory for another look around, but finds nothing, and then heads towards Holbein's house. He changes back to Clark Kent and knocks on the front door, but gets no answer. Using a little Kryptonian muscle, Superman breaks down the door and sees the chief dazed and nearly unconscious on the floor. Superman makes a quick change back to Clark once more, and the chief tells Clark that he was jumped and that he's not sure what happened to Lois. But then, Clark spots a message on the table, written in lipstick. A message from Lois that reads only, Am on Island which leaves Clark to wonder what it means. Our next episode picks up that famous amount of time that is sometime later. Perry White has arrived in Melville after a call from Clark, and the two are at the hospital waiting to speak with the police chief. After a recap of the last three episodes and some worry about Lois, Clark and Perry puzzle over the message that was left on the table. Perry says that he has studied maps of the coast, but there are no islands within a thousand miles of Melville. A nurse soon tells them they can see the chief, and after introductions are made, the chief explains to Clark and Perry what happened at Holbein's house, but can't explain what happened to Lois after he was knocked out. Perry then asks what Holbein does with the dolls, and the chief says he ships them to the city via a commercial fishing boat that he owns. He goes on to say that when he's not using the boat, He keeps it at the Water Street docks, and he's pretty sure Holbein's last trip was made a few days before the factory exploded. Clark wonders if Holbein wasn't taking dolls to some uncharted island rather than the city, and says that if he's using the boat, there's probably a navigational chart aboard that will tell them the island's location. The chief then tells him the boat's name is the Agnes K, and Perry and Clark head out while the chief says he'll send out a five-state alarm for Lois. Soon, Clark and Perry arrive at the docks and sneak aboard the boat for a look around, finally seeing a light in the cabin. Clark tells Perry to climb back onto the dock and keep watch, while he tries to find out who's in the cabin. 
Once alone, Clark changes to Superman and slinks through the shadows, ready to lay a little smackdown on Holbein. Unfortunately, it's not Holbein in the cabin, but another man playing solitaire. Superman enters the cabin and the man comes after him with a knife, but after a tussle, Superman knocks the guy out. A quick look around and Superman sees a safe in the corner. He tries to open it the normal way, but since it's locked, he opens it Superman style, ripping the safe apart. Among the things inside is a map showing the location of an island. He then changes back to Clark and calls out for Perry. Perry enters the cabin and asks about the unconscious man, but Clark just says he tripped and quickly changes the subject to the map, which shows a tiny man-made island on the very tip of a neck of land that juts out into the ocean. Clark wants to fly out alone in a plane, but Perry insists on going along, and the two are soon speeding out towards the island in a seaplane. Meanwhile, on the island, Holbein and Joe listen over a shortwave radio to a police call about Lois' disappearance. Joe is nervous about the cops, and the two grab Lois, planning to stick her in a rowboat and send her out to sea to let the approaching storm take care of her. Lois fights and struggles, but can't overcome the fiendish thugs, and is soon set adrift, alone, in a small rowboat, with a deadly storm approaching in the night sky. Our next episode opens with Clark and Perry nearing where they think the island should be. They can't tell because of the approaching storm, so they decide to just circle a bit and wait for a clearing. After discussing Holbein's possible motives for making the explosive-filled dolls, Clark dives the plane through a clearing, and they begin to scout for land. While trying to get their bearings, they spot the rowboat in the water below, and despite Perry's protest that it's too dangerous, Clark lands the plane in the open sea. As the plane is pelted by the storm and angry waves, Clark climbs out onto the wing of the plane to look for the boat and her passenger. Hidden by the storm, Clark is able to change to Superman when he finally spots the boat. Diving into the water, he swims after it, just as the boat is capsized by a huge wave. Struggling through the rough waters, Superman makes it to the boat and then spots his former occupant farther out in the water. He first thinks it's a man, but as he swims nearer, he realizes it's Lois, unconscious and nearly drowned. Just then, he hears Perry screaming for help. Turning, he realizes a wave has capsized the plane and it's starting to sink. Superman swims back towards the plane, but is slowed because he's only able to swim with one arm since he's using the other to carry Lois. As the plane sinks, leaving only an oily film on the water, Superman cries out for Perry but gets no answer and assumes that he was dragged under by the sinking plane. Superman realizes there's a slim chance he could save Perry if he dove under, but also knows that it would mean Lois would likely drown. Knowing he has to get Lois to a doctor immediately, Superman makes a grim choice and leaps off with the girl reporter in his arms. Meanwhile, back on the island, Holbein and Joe have heard Clark and Perry's plane and worry that people are coming for them despite the storm. Joe says he doesn't understand what Holbein was doing with the dolls that he'd been shipping to the island for the last year. Power, Holbein says, growing more and more deranged as he speaks. Power is everything. Since just a little bit of the explosive can level a city, if he amasses enough, he will be ruler of all he surveys. Showing Joe a nearby cabinet that contains a master switch connected to a timer, Holbein says he's not worried about anyone coming for them, because he's prepared for just such an event. The entire island has been booby-trapped, and once the switch is activated, nothing will be left of the island but dust. 
Just then they hear Perry calling out for help as he climbs from the water onto the beach. They pull him inside as Perry falls unconscious and begin rummaging through his pockets, finally finding his ID as editor of the Daily Planet. Realizing that must mean the rest are nearby, Holbein tells Joe to tie Perry up. But as Joe comes back with a rope, he finds himself held at gunpoint by Holbein. Saying that he asked too many questions, Holbein ties Joe up and sets the switch's timer for ten minutes, and then takes his leave as Joe screams for help. Our final episode begins 60 seconds later, as Joe struggles to get loose and Perry lies unconscious. Unsuccessful in trying to free himself, Joe tries to rouse Perry, finally bringing him back to consciousness. He explains their predicament and that they've got less than 10 minutes to live, and then backs up and tells Perry to try and loose the ropes. Unfortunately, Perry is too weak from his ordeal at sea, so Joe shifts around and tries to untie Perry's ropes, but is equally unsuccessful as the ropes are too tight. We then get some expositional dialogue, recapping Holbein's plot and what they had done with Lois, and as Perry and Joe worry over their fate, we cut to Clark Kent leaving the hospital where he has taken Lois. Switching to Superman, he thinks to himself how, with Lois nearly dead and Perry missing, he really hasn't done too good of a job so far with this whole Holbein situation. But determined to make Holbein pay for his crimes, Superman takes off in search of the mad businessman. Winging his way through the air, he spots a plane coming from the direction of Holbein's island. Realizing it's Holbein himself, he soars upward above the plane and then follows the plane back to the airport. Superman watches as Holbein lands and then plants himself on the road leading from the airport to wait for him. Holbein's car approaches fast and screeches to a halt right in front of the Man of Steel. Superman orders him out of the car, but Holbein just tells him to beat it and drives off. Giving chase, Superman easily catches up to the car and flies alongside. He then grabs Holbein from the driver's seat of the moving car, sending the car crashing into a nearby tree. Superman says he knows everything Holbein has done, and that he has proof enough to send him to the electric chair, but still wants to know where the dolls and the explosives are. Holbein is scared but unwilling to answer, so Superman tries a little Superman-style persuasion, and Holbein finally reveals that they are on the island, but that the police will never find the island because in just two minutes, it and its occupants will be no more, and there's nothing Superman can do. Leaping into the air with Holbein in hand, Superman streaks towards the island. He arrives at the island within seconds and leaves Holbein, who conveniently fainted on the trip, on the beach. Superman then begins to run towards the nearby shack as explosions begin to blast all around him. As the shack starts to collapse and explosions continue to rock the island, Superman busts in and grabs White, now unconscious again after having been struck by a beam, and leaps into the air away from the island as the tiny shack collapses. The next day at the Daily Planet, Clark returns from visiting Lois in the hospital, and Perry tells him that the island disappeared into the sea and that Holbein and Joe disappeared with it. He says he's not sure how Clark was able to rescue him, but Clark says it was nothing special and just dismisses it. Perry says it must have been a miracle, though, and tells Clark that he deserves a vacation. But Clark happily declines, saying he'd rather stick around and make sure that Lois recovers. The End Hey, everyone. 
everyone. My name is Michael Bailey. And I am Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman. Wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle-scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number one in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air, eventually, because we get behind on that sort of thing. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. Our cast this time around is composed of our usual players... We've got Bud Collier as Superman and Clark Kent, Joan Alexander as Lois Lane, and Julian Noah as Perry White. I'm not sure who voiced Holbein, Joe, the police officer, or excuse me, the police chief, or any of the other characters, though some of them sounded kind of familiar, so it was probably just our show regulars. And a couple of the random female characters sounded a whole lot like Joan Alexander. I have a feeling that whenever they had these random characters that only appear in, you know, one scene of one episode, that they were almost always played by people who were already in the studio that day. Given the nature of when and how these were done, I I just can't see them bringing in special actors for such small parts. But whoever voiced Holbein, though, I really liked his voice. He sounded sinister, but not so over-the-top that you couldn't believe he could pass himself off as a law-abiding businessman. To get into my notes, though, episode 58, which was the first episode of the storyline, I like how this story started. Uh, Basically, you know, we've already got the action well underway, 
instead of Clark and Lois at the Daily Planet and being called into Perry White's office and told about the explosion, we just skip all that and just join up with them as they're driving to the factory. But once again, we have Clark being sent out of town for an adventure. And at this rate, I wonder why Clark even set up shop in Metropolis or whatever town this is, because nothing ever happens there. It's just weird and something that I have no explanation for. The use of the name Metropolis hasn't been especially prevalent in either the comics or the newspapers at this point, but it has been used in both mediums. And even if the show writers and show creators didn't realize that Superman's home city had already been named, that still doesn't explain why they keep sending him elsewhere. The only things I can offer as possible explanation are that, A, by keeping the home city vague and sending him to other places, they were hoping to broaden the appeal to their audience, since listeners could imagine Superman existing in their very town. Or, B, by constantly sending him out of town, it kept them from having to explain why all this crazy stuff, like assassination attempts and mad scientists and Indian witch doctors and the like, all happened in one town and why it was never an issue before Superman showed up. It's hard to imagine that that was a concern for the writers who just breezed past Superman's post-Krypton origin in about four minutes, but it's the only explanation I got. Anyway, I got a chuckle when Clark and Lois are driving to Melville. Uh, Clark says that whatever caused the explosion at the factory is a mystery. And Lois replies, Every assignment you go out on seems to have mystery connected with it, Mr. Kent. I sometimes wonder whether you don't manage to create the mystery. What do you mean? Forget it. Not worth discussing, really. And then she just blows it off when Clark inquires about what she means. It's funny that they're catching on that weird things happen whenever Clark goes anywhere. They've still not introduced the idea of people wondering who Superman really is, you know, the secret identity and such. Well, I guess there was the Medini story in the comics where Lois went to the phony hypnotist, but that was forgotten even before the story ended. But there's been nothing like that referenced in the comics or newspaper since, and certainly not on the radio show where Superman is much, still much more under the radar. Uh, in, in the next scene, Holbein gets a telegram that Clark and Lois are on their way, and he seems a little concerned, saying that he's heard about Clark Kent and that he won't be so easy to handle. So it seems that Clark Kent's legend as a top-notch reporter is growing as well. But moving on... Um, Later, when Clark runs off to investigate, we get a great... This looks like a job for Superman. She can't see me around that bend. Lucky, too. This looks like a job for Superman. Well, here goes. Unfortunately, Collier says the whole line in his Superman voice, but it is our second, and so far best, this looks like a job for Superman. So, I thought that was pretty awesome. We also had a very classic golden age moment when Superman confronts Joe on the road to Melville from his initial confrontation to the to the watchman shooting at him to Superman beating up Joe to get information it just reminded me of something straight out of the comic books and I like that 
As much as Siegel is pulling inspiration from the radio show for the hit, for his stories, the radio show is pulling inspiration from the comics and newspapers for theirs as well. It really wasn't too bright, though, of <laughs> of Holbein to show his true face. I'm, I'm moving to the end of the episode now. It, it wasn't too bright of Holbein to show his true face to Lois when he did. I mean, it, it just seems he could have just as easily distracted Lois and excused himself and then went to take care of Clark, and Lois would have been none the wiser. But he's a villain, so long-term planning isn't going to be his strongest suit. Episode 59, when he's digging through the, the factory rubble, Superman comments that he has to be quiet so that the Watchman, a.k.a. Joe, doesn't catch him. And I really liked that comment. It was nice seeing Superman tone himself down and try to be a little more stealthy. So much of Superman is big and loud, uh, you know, crashing through walls and bouncing off or bouncing bullets off his chest. And while that's all fine, Superman taking action a little quieter is nice too because not everything is going to require such a healthy hand. Uh, like I mentioned in the synopsis, though, there's also a big mistake here because somehow Superman knew Holbein blamed the boiler for the explosion. But Lois had only learned last episode when she went to visit Holbein. And she hadn't spoken to Clark or the police chief or anybody at this point because she was locked in the closet. So that's a pretty sizable gaffe by the writers. But this episode also has a really nice up, up, in a way, when Superman leaves the factory to go see the police. It really makes me happy to see the what are considered the now classic Superman phrases being used more and more in these episodes. The only comment I had about episode 60 was that I loved that even after being abducted, fainting, and nearly being blown up, Lois still wants to go after the story. I just love that, love that, love that. Like I said last episode, I think it was, Lois has got that go get them fire that really set her apart from other female leads or, or female love interests, I guess you could call Lois at this point, too, in this era. Episode 61, Perry White shows up for the first time in this batch of episodes. This would have been a Monday episode, meaning he was absent for the entire first week of the storyline, which makes me wonder if Julian Noah had other commitments that prevented him from being on the show from time to time. It seems whenever Noah is gone from the show, it's always for an entire week. I don't know too much about what else Noah was doing at this time, so I will definitely have to look into that when I spotlight him in a later episode, and maybe that will uh, shed some light on it. A little later, when Perry and Clark are are visiting with the uh, police chief in the hospital, Clark jumps to the conclusion about looking on Holbein's boat for a map that just might show an island that may or may not exist just way too fast. And the police captain knew the name and location of Holbein's boat way too quick, too, considering that just two episodes earlier, he told Clark that he didn't know much about Holbein. It's just another instance of the characters being much smarter or much more on the spot than they really should be. But a lot of that is just the the time and the audience for, for who these were written. But also in this episode, and for the second time in the story, Superman knocks the guy out and then has to explain to his partner, this time Perry, where the first time it was Lois, 
about how the guy got knocked out. <laughs> Both times, he just makes up some excuse that they tripped or stumbled and then diverts their attention to whatever issue was at hand. I see what they're going for, and I know what they're doing there, but I'd really like for the writers to come up with some new trick for the same kind of drama. I mean, we've seen the exact same sequence happen in several episodes now, and it's, it's getting a tad repetitive. And my last note for this particular episode is when Holbein and Joe listen to the police call about Lois Lane being missing, we hear the call, we as listeners hear the call too, of course, and the dispatcher gives a physical description of Lois Lane. Calling all Coast Guard stations and police boats, reported missing Lois Lane, L A N E, newspaper reporter, height 5 feet 4 inches. Weight 110 pounds, black hair, brown eyes, last seen wearing tweed suit, brown shoes, watch all fishing boats and private planes. I will repeat, Marine... And that pretty much matches up to what we've seen in the comic books and newspapers to this point. Well, except for the red hair that she has in a Sunday strip. But I thought it was interesting since it's the first physical description of Lois on the radio show. And I don't think we've even gotten a description of Superman at this point beyond the basics of what his costume looks like. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Episode 62. This episode aired on July 3rd, 1940, which was Superman Day at the New York World's Fair. And it's my belief that this is the episode that was broadcast at the fair that day. Since it's kind of a special episode because of that, and a particularly good episode besides, I'm going to do something kind of out of the ordinary and actually play the entire episode for you folks. This isn't something I'm going to do all the time, but I thought it would be neat this time since it's such a, a special episode. So kick back and enjoy, and I'll be back afterwards to continue my notes. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Now, Superman, courageous visitor from another world who has come to Earth resolved to dedicate his tremendous strength and unusual powers to the fight for truth and justice. Superman, who mingles with ordinary men disguised as mild-mannered Clark Kent, reporter for the Daily Planet newspaper. When we last saw Kent, he was piloting a seaplane in company with the planet's editor, Perry White, searching in the storm-swept darkness for a tiny man-made island 50 miles out to sea the island to which Hans Holbein and his helper, Joe, took Lois Lane after Superman discovered that the explosion which wrecked Holbein's doll factory was caused by a new high-powered explosive Holbein was packing inside dolls. But unknown to either Kent or Perry White, Lois is no longer on the island. Holbein and Joe have placed her in a small rowboat and set it adrift without oars. Moment by moment, the high wind and fast-stepping tide are carrying the frail boat further out to sea. All this while, Clark Kent searches for an opening in the low, murky ceiling of the sky. Listen. Storm's getting worse by the minute. Now we just have to circle for a while. According to that navigation chart we found on Holbein's boat, we should be somewhere over the island. Kent, do you think Holbein's a foreign agent? Oh, I don't know what to think, Mr. White. Whatever he is, that accidental explosion in his factory put a crimp in his plans. 
that hadn't happened, he might have gone on merrily making dolls, each one of which was a horrible instrument of death. I don't know, Kent. I'm all confused. But in the meantime, Lois may be in danger of her life, and all because of me. No, no, you mustn't think things like that, Mr. White. It won't do any good. Hold on, I think I see an opening in the clouds. Ah, we got through, Mr. White. Ah, there's the ocean, 500 feet below us. Uh, it looks bad, Kent. Rough water. Can you see any land? No, just water. Wind probably blew us off our course. Here, let me see that chart again, will you? Here. Here it is. Well, according to the chart, the neck of land should be somewhere in this neighborhood, unless my calculations are all wrong. Yeah, I certainly wish we had better weather. Uh, it's fierce, absolutely fierce. Even if we did find the island, Kent, do you think you can land in that running sea? Well, I can try. We'll circle a bit. Keep your eyes open, Mr. White. Kent! Kent! What's that directly below on the water? Good heavens, it's a boat! A small rowboat! Uh, and there's someone in it! Look! Look, that wave almost swamped it! I'm going down! Kent, now don't be a fool. You can't land here. Plane would float five minutes, I see. We'll have to take our chances. There's a human being in that boat. I can't stand by and see it turn over. Kent, it's two lives against one. Well, maybe you're right. Maybe I shouldn't risk your life. Look. Look, Kent. Another wave. Pour it right over the boat. How about it, Mr. White? Shall we take a chance? I suppose we've got to, Kent. Go ahead. Oh, I knew you'd say that. All right, sir. Tighten your safety belt. Here we go. We're down, Kent. You landed beautifully. Now, where's the robo? I can't see it. Oh, neither can I. Not in this pelting rain. Well, we'd better locate it in a hurry. This plane's pitching and tossing like a bronco. It isn't built to take this kind of a beating. Look out. Here comes a wave. Oh, boy. Good thing this cabin's waterproof. Now, you just sit tight, Mr. White. I'm going out to look for that rowboat. Out? Out where? On the wingtip. Can't see a thing through these windows. Kent, are you mad? You'll be blown off into the sea. Now, don't worry about me. Kent, come back. Come back here. Now, one thing this driving rain will do is keep Mr. White from seeing me change to Superman. Now, out of the wingtip to look for that boat. Listen to that wind screech through the struts. Must be gale force. I don't understand anybody being in a rowboat on a night like this. No, can't see it anywhere. I hope we weren't too late. No, there it is. Half swamped. Wallowing. Look at that wave bearing down on it. Mountain high. No time to lose. I'll dive in after it. Oh, that wave capsized the rowboat. I may not be able to find whoever was in it. Not in this sea. Faster. Faster. Ah, here's the boat. There's no sign of a human being. Wait, what's that bobbing up ahead? It's a man. He's sinking. Got him. Good heavens, it's a woman. It's Lois. Lois Lane, half drowned. Falling. Mr. White shouting for help. The plane, a wave hit it and turned it over. It's going down. Hold on, Mr. White. Hold on. the chance. I can't make much speed with one arm. I must keep Lois's head above water. Mr. White! Mr. White! Ah. Oh, the plane sank like a rock. It's nothing but an oily film on the water. Mr. White! 
Mr. White! Oh, he's gone. Probably went under with a plane. There might be a slim chance of finding him if I dove down, but that would mean leaving Lois to drown. No, I can't take that chance. I've got to get her to a doctor before it's too late. Up! Up! And away! Giant bird, Superman wings for the mainland, the unconscious form of Lois Lane in his arms, leaving behind only a smear of oil to mark the spot where the plane sank to a watery grave. Meanwhile, on the tiny island, Hans Holbein and Joe listen intently for a familiar sound that has come to them over the storm. I don't hear it no more, Mr. Holbein. You're sure it was a plane? Yeah, I couldn't miss it. The fools. Do they expect to pick us out in this weather? And even if they did... How could they land? What about when the storm clears and it's daylight? Well, what about it? You'll see the shack. That storage house where you keep the dolls. You know, Mr. Holbein, I suppose it's none of my business. But I still don't get the point in the load in the island with them powder-filled dolls. You're being paid and paid well, aren't you? That's enough. It ain't that, Mr. Holbein. I was just wondering. You've been carting that high-powered stuff over here for almost a year. And I would have kept carting it. If that Peter's numbskull hadn't dropped a lighted match into an open case of dolls and caused the factory to blow up. I know. But what are you going to do with all the stuff that's here now? Almost a ton of it. What am I going to do with it? <laughs> you don't know, eh? Sell it to the government, maybe? For money? No. Money is nothing. Power. Power is the important thing. With this weapon, I will someday rule the universe. Yes, one pound of it dropped from a plane will level a great city. I will rule the land and rule the sea. Yeah, but supposing the cops or the Coast Guard find the stuff here, then what? That plane I heard flying around here wasn't flying around just for the ride. Not in this storm. Don't worry. Even if they do find us, not one ounce of my explosives will fall into their hands. How come? You uh, see this cabinet built into the wall? I open the door. There now. What's inside, Joe? It looks like a master switch with a clock attached to it. You are 100% right, Joe. A master switch with a clock attached to it. Yes, I think I'd better wind the clock. That's better. What's the switch for, Mr. Holbein? You are very curious, Joe. But it doesn't matter. I'll tell you what the switch is for. You see, I realize that someday an accident might happen. Like the explosion in a doll factory. An accident that would put the police on my trail. And so I prepared. Prepared what? Buried deep in the sand. All over the island are hundreds of pounds of my explosive. Electrical wires lead to this switch. If danger threatens, I set the clock for five minutes, ten minutes, an hour, as I please. Throw the switch... And within the time I have chosen, the island will blow up into a million fragments and disappear into the sea. You mean there'll be nothing but water where the island is now? I mean just that. Hey, who was that? Someone's calling for help. Outside, open the door. It's a man. Calling down the water off the beach. Go get him, but be careful. It may be a trap. Captain! Bring him in, Joe. Hold a hand. The guy's water along. Yeah, yeah. Up with him. Ah, that's it. Now close it off. He must have fallen off a boat. Oh, I don't think so. See what he has in his coat pockets. 
A lot of wet papers. Here, let me have them. Ah. This is very interesting. What is it, Mr. Holbein? This man is Perry White, editor of the Daily Planet. Hey, that means they're around here someplace. They know where we are. Stop shaking like that. Tie him up quickly. There's rope in the corner. Now, hurry, there's not much time. What you gonna do? Oh, never mind. All finished? Yeah. You won't get loose. All right. Stand up. Hey! Hey, what you pointing a gun at me for? Turn around, Joe, and put your hands behind you. Hey, what's the big idea? You ask too many questions, Joe. You're too curious. Men who are curious can't be trusted. There. That fixes your wrist. Uh, yes, this rope came in handy. Hey, you ain't gonna leave me here. I go down. Down on your stomach. Hey, don't leave me here, please. Please don't leave me here. Now. A few turns of the rope around your ankle. No. Uh, tighten it up. And we're through. I didn't mean nothing. Why, you can trust me. I'll set the clock for ten minutes. Then it'll give me enough time to get off in my plane. The wind's down. No, no. No, not that. There. There, that does it. Now to throw the switch. No, please, Mr. Holbein. Don't leave me here. I don't want to die. Sorry, Joe. No. But I can't take any chances. No. Goodbye, Joe. No. Come back. Come back. Come back. Holbein. Come back. Only ten short minutes before Hans Holbein's diabolical instrument of destruction blows the tiny island apart and makes it vanish into the sea, taking editor Perry White and Joe with it. What chance of either of them, with Superman speeding in the opposite direction after having snatched Lois Lane from a watery grave? Tune in next time and hear the startling climax of the transcription feature, Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics Magazine. That was a pretty good episode. Assuming this was the one played that day, and, and I'm pretty sure it was, I can imagine kids having just seen Superman himself, you know, leading the Grand Parade, maybe even having gotten the opportunity to meet him, and now they're sitting enthralled listening to the, his latest radio adventure. It's just a, a wonderful thing to sit back and imagine. As comics and comics-inspired television programs and movies are more aimed at adults these days, we often lose sight of the wonderment that kids have for superheroes. And, and you can just imagine the the smiles and, and giddiness that kids must have had meeting Superman at the World's Fair, or seeing him at least, and then, you know, sitting back to listen to him rescue uh, Lois and Perry White and, and fight the bad guy on the radio. It just would have been awesome. Uh, but as this episode opens, Clark and Perry are flying in a plane, so it's nice to see that Clark's piloting knowledge coming into play once again. Though it was probably done more to move the story forward faster, I like the continuity of it. The entire sequence with Superman in the water and going after the capsized boat and the plane and, and their occupants was fairly excellent. I really, really enjoyed that part. There was a lot of urgency in that. You know, saving Lois, but then not knowing where Perry is and having to make the having to make a choice. I kind of wish they would have played that up a little more with Superman agonizing over what he should do, but ultimately deciding to help Lois because Perry might be okay, or 
if he wasn't, then it was too late anyway. But, you know, again, 1940, written for kids, and you've only got 11 minutes, so I can't really blame them for that. I wonder why Superman didn't just grab Lois and then fly back to the plane, rather than try to swim with one arm and keep Lois above water. But I'm curious if the show writers didn't see Superman's flying as something he could only do if he had a jumping-off point. Rather than just being able to basically levitate, maybe he actually needed to propel himself upward. And then once he's up, he can stay up as long as he needs to and change directions and so forth. Maybe the writers never thought of it, and they only had Superman swimming because it was more dramatic. But I'm pretty sure the other explanation fits with what we've heard so far in the radio show as far as Superman's flight. And it actually makes a lot of sense, given that he started out leaping in the comic books. I really enjoyed the end of the episode. It wasn't as chillingly acted as it could have been, but Holbein's descent into utter madness and leaving Joe to die on the island simply for (laughs) asking too many questions really threw him into another level as the story's villain. But as for our last episode, episode 63, Superman's speech about halfway into the episode is pretty cool. Holbein didn't know it at that point, but Superman had put a big old target on his back and was coming for him. And given Superman's attitude towards the treatment of criminals in this era, that's not a good spot to be in. Lois at death's door. Mr. White missing, lost in the ocean. I certainly have made a mess of this. There's one thing I will do. Catch Holbein and make him pay for everything that's happened. Now that I'm alone, I don't need a plane. I can find that island by myself. Storm's over. The night's clear. Holbein, you'll be sorry you ever started with me. Because if there's one man on earth I despise, that man is you. Up! Up! And away! And we got another up, up, and away at the end of it. Which, as you know, I I really like that. Again, in this episode, the confrontation between Superman and Holbein felt like it could have been lifted directly from the comic books. You know, the way he stood in the middle of the road and then chased the car down and caused it to crash. The radio show has added, and is adding, a lot to Superman. And the comics are clearly picking up on that. But it's very cool when they do something that harkens back to the original, even if they weren't doing it intentionally. And at the end of the episode, we have... (laughs) We have Perry getting knocked out, conveniently, just in time to be rescued by Superman. Sometimes I think if people didn't get knocked out, they would never get rescued. Perhaps case in point, Holbein and Joe didn't get knocked out, and Superman left them to die on the island. So I guess that could be a lesson. If you want to get rescued by Superman, be sure to risk a concussion and get knocked out first, or your chances take a nosedive. Uh, but nothing is really said at the end of the episode about Lois's condition, except that Clark mentions that he's going back to see her. So I guess we will just assume that she got better, unless they happen to mention it at the beginning of the next batch of episodes, which I kind of doubt they'll do because they've kind of moved away from referencing the the previous storyline in the last few arcs we've looked at. But overall, I really, really like this one. I wish Charlie could have been here for this one, because I, I think he would have enjoyed it. It felt more like old-school Superman radio, which is weird to say, given that the show isn't even a year old at this point. But 
several of the recent storylines have been more outlandish. You know, the the Alonzo Craig storyline is is the most over the top we've gotten. But this one reminded me more of the earlier storylines, like the Mind storyline, which which was very early in the show's run. I think part of that is that it was pretty straightforward throughout. Unlike the last few storylines where they've kept the listener in the dark and only let them find out things when Superman did, here there wasn't as much mystery aside from what Lois's Am on Island meant. But even then, we knew that Holbein had abducted Lois, so... But, you know, that, that's fine. I mean, we can't have every storyline the same, and I would... Personally, I'd rather they mix it up anyway. Um, there were some loopholes and some light, slight leaps in logic throughout, like I talked about. Uh, but overall, I, I just think this was a really strong story. Lois seems a little harsher on Clark than in the last batch of episodes, but still much, much kinder than the earliest storylines. In this batch, she has a little bit more of that spite or fire that I was trying to explain in episode 64. So I, I really like that. I also liked Holbein, who came off as a really evil guy, but more grounded on the realism scale than some of the other villains. He, you know, he's not trying to wipe out a town or melt airplanes or get some mythical treasure. Well, at least he didn't start off that way in the beginning. Towards the end, he became a bit more uh, ultra-humanite-ish, I guess, with his you know megalomaniacal plans of world domination. But he started off much more grounded. He and Joe reminded me of, well, several of the other villain henchman pairings they've been using on the radio show, especially the ones from the start of the show, like The Wolf and Kino or Pemberton and Deneen, which I'm sure adds to this feeling of the, you know, the quote-unquote old-school Superman radio. The show opening recaps were really long this time, both the both from the narrators and the characters, which is probably a sign that they could have dropped this down to five episodes and just tightened each one up some. We've noticed this on a lot of stories lately, and my guess is the show writers noticed it as well because pretty soon they start varying the length of the stories. Um, some are as short as three episodes, while others are you know, 15 parts or more. So that's something we should keep an eye on as we you know, keep going through more stories. One last thing I'll note is that they seem to really emphasize in the dialogue whenever Clark would change to Superman or Superman would change to Clark. There's actually a lot of dialogue from Bud Collier where he's actually saying he's going to change and explaining why and that kind of thing. That's something else I want to keep watch on. It, it makes me wonder if they were getting feedback that it wasn't clear that he was switching back and forth and not just altering his voice. I know Charlie and I have questioned that several times, so it, it makes sense that listeners at the time would have as well. If you're interested in hearing these episodes yourself, or, or at least the other five that I didn't uh, play in the episode, they have never been released, but like all the episodes, can be found at a variety of places across the internet. It was also adapted in text form in the July 1941 issue of Radio and Television Mirror. I actually have that issue, so I'll be able to post the accompanying illustrations in the show notes for this episode at greatcrypton.com. But as for the adaptation itself, like the previous ones, it's a pretty truncated telling of the story. They cut out the encounter with Joe on the road to Melville, 
Once Lois and Clark arrive, Lois takes off the Holbeins where she gets abducted, and Clark stays at the factory and finds the dolls and then goes to talk to the police. So that's all the same. But instead of the chief and Clark returning to the factory, they go to Holbein's where they find the Am on Island message from Lois. We then get a couple sentences that explain that the chief went back to headquarters and learned that Holbein's plane had disappeared and that the Coast Guard has spotted his ship heading towards a small island that was owned by Holbein. So they also cut out the whole part about you know going to the boat and the leaps in logic that I complained about, which is actually good. Uh, but then we find Superman flying towards the ship, and Holbein and Joe put Lois in the rowboat, just like in the episode. Superman saves her and then confronts Holbein, who meets the same fate as in the radio episode. So Perry White's involvement was removed, and the the presence of the police chief was also greatly reduced, basically only using him to explain how Clark or Superman learned where Holbein was at the end. Uh, they still <laughs> they still left the big plot hole of how Superman knew Holbein blamed the boiler for the explosion. Between the writers, the directors, and the actors of the show, and whoever did the adaptation, you'd think someone would have noticed that. But, oh well. This same issue also has an adaptation of an episode, or, or perhaps several episodes, given the length of it, of Young Witter Brown a show that starred both Bud Collier and Ned Weaver in regular roles as suitors for the title character, and also featured appearances by Helen Choate, who was the second Lois Lane here on the radio show. With the article is also a photo of Ned Weaver and Florence Freeman, who portrayed Ellen Brown in the Young Witter Brown show. Even though it's not Superman, I may stick that in the show notes as well, because it's kind of a neat old vintage photo. Hey, Michael. Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. Well, you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Um, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. Short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics, that's true, that's good. Liking it, liking this pitch, carry on. Right, we talk about comics. We do, we talk about comics, we read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent, keep going. And then... We sing! Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Hey, kids, comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com. This is Bane. Listen to this promo for the BatmanUniverse.net or I'll break you. The BatmanUniverse.net, your source for all things related to the Dark Knight, including the latest news related to the comics, movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and much more. Each month, an assortment of podcasts are produced, including a bi-monthly comic podcast, special commentaries and interviews, the Batman Universe specials, and a podcast which delves into TV, movie, merchandise, video game news, and beyond. Keep up to date with everything about Batman, get to know the kooky and lovable casts of the podcasts, 
Listen to in-depth conversations about the latest direct-to-video movies and increase your knowledge about the Dark Knight and his family only at thebatmanuniverse.net. I'm Dustin from thebatmanuniverse.net and I approve this message. folks, that's it for this episode. I made it through the first solo radio episode all by myself. I'm going to call it a success. <laughs> Next time, we will be returning to the wonderful world of newspapers for a look at the 15th storyline from the Daily Strip, which has been called The Unknown Strikes. I finished up my notes for that last night, and it's a really fun story, so please be sure to come back. Before then, please stop by the website at greatcrypton.com, where you will find show notes and links to back episodes. At the site, you will also get links to the Facebook and Twitter feeds. Follow the show on either site to get updates and show-related news whenever there is any. At the site, you will also find the iTunes link and the RSS feed, both of which can be used to subscribe to the show. Also, please remember to stop by the Superman homepage at supermanhomepage.com and the Superman Podcast Network at supermanpodcastnetwork.com Updates for the show can be found at either site whenever there is a new episode out. Last but not least, I invite you to check out my other podcasts, Legends of the Batman, which you can find at batmanlegends.com On that show, Michael Kaiser and I are doing a similar thing as I do here, but with the character of Batman, and we've been having a really good time with that. And then there is Green Lantern's Light, which I co-host with J. David Weeder and Jeffrey Taylor, where we are looking at the uh, mid to late 80s Green Lantern comics. We are going full speed into Crisis on Infinite Earths now in a, in a brand new era for the book with a new writer and a new art team that's going to carry that book throughout the, through about the next three years' worth of stories. So it's a really exciting time. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and I will talk to you next time. Goodbye.
Sometimes I feel so insecure. 